back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan. We're going to talk a lot of basketball today. I heard that there's been some some news uh, since we last were on here. Um, if you're listening on YouTube or Spotify or Apple or wherever you might listen to this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you see when our weekly episodes post. Um, if you're watching us live, feel free to comment wherever you're at, and I think we will see it, and we can answer any questions or just say hello. Um, so last week uh, we were on here. We were talking about the incredible men's basketball win at home versus Kentucky, um, but I think we were still kind of throwing some some water on the fire and being like, oh, you know, nice win. You rode the home crowd, you know, whatever. Then <laughs> uh, the men decided to go on the road to Tennessee and also knock off another top five team within the span of a week on a Tuesday night. Um, and now, I don't know, I, 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 whenever I put out the story uh, on Twitter that day, I said, maybe we should stop being shocked every time they yeah. shock the world or whatever. Um, I'm looking at their, I mean, we can get into this deeper here in a second, but I'm looking at their net rating. They have the most... Uh, are the best win percentage of quad one wins in the SEC right now. Uh, they are near the top of the standings. Um, they have some very winnable games over the next week or so before it gets tough again. Um, yeah, I mean, should we adjust our expectations at this point, I guess? Yeah, I think that was my main takeaway coming out of Knoxville Tuesday. Is like you start actually looking at the whole picture here, and it's like, okay, eighteen and three overall, six and two in the league. You, I think we both were in agreement before the SEC schedule started that nine league wins would get you in the tournament. Well, you're two thirds of the way there now, and you still got ten games left. You got your two resume wins. You got Kentucky and Tennessee on the board. You, like I said, you still have ten league games left, and. I think most of those, almost all of those, you feel like are winnable. You're probably not going to go 10 and 0, but you don't feel like any games out of reach after what you get against Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, I think at this point, it'd be a, it would be an active disappointment if you don't make the tournament. And then from there, it's about how, how high can you push up the seed lines? Could you maybe get a double buy on the SEC tournament, finish top four in the league? You know, I think you start adjusting to those things, right? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely making plans like they're going to uh, make the tournament at this point, which is something I wasn't expecting about a month ago. So um, I definitely didn't feel like a sure thing about a month ago. Um, Like you said, not necessarily a sure thing. You could collapse on the back half and, uh, I guess, uh, dissipate all this goodwill you've built. But it feels pretty good right now. Um, Looking at the immediate schedule, you have a rematch tomorrow at Georgia. Um, that's a game I we we were talking right before this that we felt like South Carolina probably should have won at home, but um, weren't had their worst free throw shooting night of the year that night. Um, ended up losing in the final minutes, uh, and then you have better, very winnable games against Ole Miss and Vanderbilt before you have to go to a very tough Auburn team, and and really the end of February into March, <laughs> it, the final stretch of games is, is pretty tough, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you get those three wins, you're at nine, right? You're right there, yeah. yeah. And I, I even think if you – I think tomorrow is a very interesting game. It's the how does a team respond after a big win thing, which you kind of saw against Missouri last week, but Missouri is 0-7 in the league. It's not really the same thing as going on the road after a big win to Georgia. 
a team that beat you, a team that's I think Georgia's four and three in the league right now. That they're, they're going to be game on their home court. Um, that's a very interesting test tomorrow. But you're right. You look at next week. You look at Ole Miss in your building, Vanderbilt for sure in your building. You feel you should win those two games. And even if you even if you did slip up tomorrow and you won those two at home, you're up to eight. Um, and at that point, you'd still have what eight games left after that, seven games left after that. Um, yeah, I still think. I don't know what the bracketology looks like right now, but like if you're making a bracket now, seven seeds, six seeds, like you're not even on a bubble right now. You're like pushing the up the seed lines a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're what I already had today. If you're looking you're at SEC teams that are definitely in, South Carolina has to be in my conversation, at least as things stand right now. Um there was something else I was going to say that I forgot what it was. The quad one um, ones? Oh, you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the quad one ones. Um, I think the thing, if you're a South Carolina fan, you're kind of always uh, pessimistic, pessimistic is the best one, cynical a little bit. Um, if you're trying to make an argument for why this team probably won't collapse, um, I think it's the defense. Um, this is something. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about last week when uh, Calipari called them the best defense defensive team in the SEC, um, and then we saw that you know go on the road to Tennessee and and hold uh, one of the country's not just the the league but one of the country's most explosive offense uh, well under their average, um, which they've done to every team they've played all year. I don't know. I don't see a drop off coming there. Um, just the style that they play, it it feels like unless you go completely cold like you did in the second half against Alabama, um, it's hard to not see you kind of competing in every game down the rest of the schedule. Um, and if that's the case, you probably should win at least half of them at a minimum. Yeah. Lamont Paris, he uses the word repeatable a lot. He talks about it after Kentucky, after Tennessee, that said they didn't do it at Alabama. Things that are repeatable, things that you can do in a game-to-game-to-game basis – even when the other stuff, you know, where you're playing, who you're playing, how your opponent's shooting, how you're shooting, all that stuff, maybe that changes game to game. Your defense can say the same every game if you, you know, follow the principles, do things in the system, all that stuff. And I, we talked about it on Tuesday, but I think they got it right. Like Dalton Connect's going to do what he does. That's an incredible score. He might win in National Player of the Year. I mean, he had 31, he did what he did. But the rest of Tennessee's offense, like they, pretty much had him under wraps most of the game. They kind of just, I don't want to say let Connect do his thing. They were still, you know, guarding him pretty heavily, obviously. But they made a very conscious effort to just not let anybody else get going. And they pretty much wire to wire did that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was very impressed by Connect, who pretty much single-handedly uh, kept Tennessee in it. If they don't have him, um, I, South Carolina probably wins that one with a similar score to the Kentucky score. Uh, <laughs> Um, but Connect was just making guarded shots. I mean, he night. had a circus shot on that last trip down that cut it to two. That was ridiculous. Right, yeah. Um, but it did kind of feel like South Carolina was very in control that entire game. Um, and we speak about their identity. It seems like, for the most part, every game that they've played, they make the other team play to their pace. Um, and that can be very, very frustrating for some of these upper echelon teams I, like Tennessee, like Kentucky, who are used to going fast, used to being able to kind of score points in transition. Um, I saw someone, I think it was on Reddit or something, but describe it as you're used 
the way South Carolina plays is like uh, when you're in the fast lane and someone in front of you is going 60 um, <laughs> and you just like can't get around them because there's traffic yeah. on the other side and you start getting more and more fervent and making more and more like crazy sort of moves, but you're still stuck behind them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a, that's a perfect metaphor for the way that the this defense is playing right now. And yeah, I don't see any signs of it letting up. Obviously um, I still think you're very, let's call it thin um there there's a couple people that if they got injured or something it would be kind of over but that's the case for almost every best oh, we didn't even talk about that miles studi after missing two weeks came back we didn't know if he was going to play before the game because he he warmed up against missouri last saturday which we didn't even mention that game they did beat missouri in between kentucky and tennessee um he warmed up for that game did not play at all did the exact same warm-up he had the same compression sleeve on his shoulder and he did play and he hit Three threes. He hit four free throws to ice the game in the last minute. He defended pretty well. Um, that's a big. I think people might have maybe forgotten about him a little bit because they obviously beat Kentucky without him. But that's a big piece for this team back. I think he also, before he got injured, uh, had a couple of games back to back where he kind of struggled shooting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he clearly showed um, what he brings to the table on the road at Tennessee, and, and in some ways was kind of the difference uh, in that game. So came back at a good time. Um, I believe Paris after the game was kind of talking about coming back in the right way and, yeah. and uh, not making uh, like not making such a big deal of of trying to like make a huge impact that you like overshoot it. And um, he's he, he kind of threaded that needle perfectly. I thought. Yeah, Lamont was talking after the game. Basically, he's seen a lot of players get injured, and in their first game back, they jack up twenty shots because they want to hit all twenty of them and let everyone know that hey, you guys miss me, I'm back. Um, and Miles didn't do that. He took his shots well. He gotten good. He, he looked like Miles. He looked like who he was before he got hurt. Um, and if you want to read some quotes from him, Talon Cooper and BJ Mack, we got them off the podium, like in the tunnel at Thompson Bowling. If you're subscribed to Gamecock Scoop, you go back a couple days. Uh, we heard from all three of those guys about the win. And Miles was funny. He had some good stuff. He was talking about uh, some of the trash talk and his relationship with Tennessee from his Vanderbilt days and all that stuff. He's a funny guy. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, I guess, just where they stand right now and um, what they need to do down the stretch. So right now, like I said, they're number 41 in the net, uh, which seems low, uh, but that's a lot due to the weak non-conference schedule. Um, I think things will work out just fine, but just for reference, uh, number uh, Tennessee's number five, Alabama's number seven, Auburn's number eight, uh, Kentucky's 25, Florida 36, and Mississippi State 37, so all ranked ahead of South Carolina in the net right now. Um, the good news is you're already three and one against that group, and then you still have uh, games against Auburn, a rematch against return Tennessee, game against yeah. uh, game against Florida, and you end the season against Mississippi State. Um, so still some big opportunities for Claude one wins. Of course, net gets kind of weird because as you beat those teams, they might they go down the list. <laughs> um, but I, I still think kind of keep winning. Everything's going to work out fine. Um, maybe you get screwed a little bit on seeding at the end of the day based on your non-conference schedule. Um, but I don't know. At this point, does it really matter that much? If if you're a five seed or a seven seed or whatever, um, it's just get in and and let the chips fall where they may. If you're a South Carolina, I kind of think that's where it is too. Um, 
I think the SEC thing is interesting too. You're heading into halfway point. Saturday is the halfway point of the league schedule. You are one game behind Alabama right now for the conference title, which I can't believe I'm saying, but you are. You're there. Are you going to catch them? Are you going to be able to hold them off? I don't know. But talk about like the SEC tournament and trying to maybe improve your resume there, get some more, you know, a neutral court quad one wins there. Well, the top four get double buys at the quarterfinals in the SEC tournament. And you're right now in second or tied for second, I think. So. I think last year it took like 11 wins to get to fourth in the SEC, maybe 12. I don't remember the standings exactly, but if you can get to that number, I think you feel pretty good about your chances to give yourself more big games in Nashville too. Yeah. I mean, again, next three are all very winnable. You got Georgia, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. Um, You're saying they need five or six wins down the stretch. I'm looking Um, up now what the fourth place team, the SEC had last year, but I think that's what it was. Yeah, um, so those three pretty winnable. You go on the road to Auburn. I mean, you can't really gonna count. It's going to be very tough. I certainly wouldn't put it down as a win, but you also can't really count South Carolina out at this point, I feel like, of, of any of them. Uh, LSU comes uh, to town. You go to Ole Miss. You go to Texas A&M. Florida uh, comes to town. Tennessee has their return trip, and then you go to Mississippi State. The March schedule in particular is – a pretty brutal stretch, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, back to back to back. Um, but I don't know. Uh, based on the way that they're playing right now, do you see five wins there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know there's some people in our uh, like work Slack group chat that um, feel like seven wins is even a possibility. That It'd be hard for me to project that <laughs> right now, but uh, if you get seven wins, you're definitely uh, sitting in a very good spot. Yeah, so it was last year for a double by the SEC turn. I know it's different every year. You can't count on that translating, but last year, 11 wins was a magic number for a buy, so that would be 5-5, five and five, or a double buy, excuse me. That would be 5-5 five and five in the last 10. I think if you get to 5-5, five and five, you feel definitely feel like you're a tournament team for sure. You'd have 23 wins overall at that point. Um, and I think you're probably in that pushing top four of the SEC. You do now have, two a tiebreaker over Kentucky. And I don't know how it will work with Tennessee if you lost them at home, or like how that one and one would go. But right now, this exact moment, you have a tiebreaker over Tennessee too, um, and you have a chance to get one over Auburn when you go there. It certainly feels like uh, you're in one of the best positions that I can remember at this yeah. point of the season for South Carolina basketball. Even the sixteen seventeen season, it felt like you made like a late push i mean you started strong but then had a lull in the middle and then made a late push um there's been very i I can't think of a time uh maybe when i was a kid and like dave odom was here something uh that you were sitting and that's this good of a position at the end of january yeah we didn't even mention it yet but guys they're going to be ranked on monday i think that will still happen even if they did lose in athens tomorrow i know there was a lot of people frustrated about that this week saw Mickey Johnson got on Twitter, kind of like called it ridiculous or whatever. They were the first team out, like most others receiving votes this week. I'm pretty sure when that new AP poll drops at 1 p.m. on Monday, South Carolina is going to be in it. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think so. Um, No, I mean, at at this point, their record and the way that they're playing, honestly, they look like a top 15 sort of. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get that high. but No, probably not, just because of the way the preseason rankings play out. But just high test-wise, that's... What it looks like to me um I, to some degree i think it might be a blessing in disguise though that they have been disrespected yeah up to this point um because it does seem like the the team itself is kind of feeding 
on that disrespect and, and has a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, it'll be interesting to see once they start getting the accolades, which are definitely rolling in from the national media now that they've won two top five matchups within a week, um, if they can you know, manage that and, and keep the same edge to them. Yeah, I think that's the question. And even, like I said, even tomorrow, like it's it's one thing to respond from an upset win on your home floor against one of the worst teams in the league. And even that game, they were down in the second half. Um, and then, but it's tomorrow you're taking it back on the road against a pretty good team that's already beat you once. Um, I'm in, interested to see how tomorrow looks. Um, we will have full coverage on GameCrossCoop.com of that game. Uh, you're going to be there in person and uh, we'll have a live thread and come hang out, talk to us about that. Let's talk about the women, uh, you know, the uh, undefeated um, coming off of one of their toughest wins of the, probably their toughest win of the season uh, at LSU last week on Thursday. That happened right after we did our podcast last week. South Carolina pulls off a 76 to 70 win at LSU, a game that they trailed for the majority of. Yeah, um, pretty much the whole way. I say I don't know if you have the exact minutes, but I think it was like 36. And 33 40. out of 40, yeah. Okay, there it is. Um, so, yeah, a really impressive, um, like, gut check sort of win. Um, you got a little bit of help um, down the stretch because uh, Angel Reese got into foul trouble, but also you kind of caused that foul yeah, trouble. Yeah, you did. So um, did a good job of – continually uh, pushing inside and eventually it, it worked out and, and, and fouled her out. And then uh, once she was out of the way, it did kind of feel like uh, the game took on a different tone, but um, yeah, you were there. What were your takeaways? First of all, I can't believe that was eight days ago. Now it, it feels like eight months ago. Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, unbelievable environment, unbelievable game. Just that's, I think Don Saley called that like basketball utopia. That's just what you want a basketball game to look like. Everything about that was incredible. Um, yeah, I think I think the main takeaway from that game is just they found a way to win. And I think that's what, A, what you have to do in March, what you have to do if you're trying to play into April. They were down 12 early. They were on the ropes for most of that game, like you said. You know, you, you're talking about Angel Reese fouling out. You fouled her out. Raven Johnson stole an inbounds play, hustled all the way down the court, drew a foul on her on a, on a drive. That was her fifth. Uh, you talk about hitting some shots late. Bree Hall had a pretty rough three and a half quarters. She got open late. She's wiggled loose a couple times, hit two big threes. Um, you turn the game around on the glass. Cardoso, and, and I think Kitts for that matter too, played really well down low in that game. Um, I think you're seeing kind of that you can cause – it's kind of like – I don't know if you've ever seen like the old show Watchmen like in the prison, but it's like I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Like LSU, that was LSU. They got they got LSU's best shot. They got a record crowd there. LSU played really well, and LSU was up for most of that game. But it's still South Carolina. It's still this team. You would never pick them to lose or not find a way to pull it out. I think is kind of the takeaway. Like, um, just super impressive. And then you follow that up again with another ninety point performance against Vanderbilt on Sunday. And then last night you have your worst shooting half of the year. You shoot. 28% in the first half at Auburn, and you still win the game by 22. Well, yeah, that's kind of how <laughs> most of the SEC schedule has gone. Um, but, yeah, it was it was kind of nice, I guess. Uh, I, I remember texting you in the first quarter of the LSU game and I said, well, they got punched in the mouth, and yep. now we see how they respond. 
Um, because even in some of the other earlier uh, close wins, I'm thinking of Utah, um, they still kind of had control. Through yeah, most of they did not. Game. That's a good point. They did not have control for most of that game in Baton Rouge. Yeah, still found a way to to gut it out. Um, it did feel like you know, a sort of NCAA tournament environment, yeah. uh, and I think that that'll serve you well once you get into those environments again uh, later in the season. But um, you got another pretty big one coming up. Uh, what is that next week? Next Sunday, UConn. UConn coming to town. Um, I don't know. Like what we we kind of have talked all the year about like. They're probably not going to go undefeated, but where do you see the slip-up, I guess, kind of the, in the, the back half of the schedule? I will say, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but I've talked about it on like the website if you're subscribed and on Twitter for sure. The Brazilian national team's Olympic qualifiers are next weekend. and We don't know if Camila Cardoso is going yet, but it sure sounds like she is. And if that happens, she would not be available for UConn, which, I mean, great for her, like, I, I feel like it'd be very hard to turn down a chance to get to the, get to the Olympics through a regular season game, even UConn. Um, but this team might have to figure out how to win. We talk about finding ways to win. They might have to figure out how to win without Cardoso next week, without their 6-7 player against a quality opponent. I should miss two games, but the other ones against Missouri, which I think they'd be okay. But they might have to find another way to win, you know, simulate a Camilla injury, for lack of a better term. Like, what could you do without her? Or simulate a foul trouble game for her and just not have her. I'm interested in that. But as for your question, there's nine regular season games left. You get, I think six of them are at home. Um, I I don't want to say I think they're going to go undefeated again in the regular season, but at this point, it's if they get if they clear the UConn hurdle in nine days, it's kind of hard to think otherwise. Yeah, and and for what it's worth, this UConn team is maybe the one of the weaker ones over the last twenty years. Yes, I've already got I think four losses. Yeah, you. I was looking back at their schedule. They lost to NC State. Uh, they, a lot now. Granted, a lot of their losses were in November, so they lost to NC State, UCLA, and Texas all before December third. Yep. And since then, they only have one other loss, which was their most recent game against Notre Dame, where where Notre Dame did kind of handle them there. Yeah. So, um, it'll be interesting. Obviously, it's never a, uh, one that you can automatically. Um, pencil on a win and especially if you're missing um that interior presence with, with yeah. cardoso but uh i mean if i'm a sports book right now i'm obviously still gonna give south carolina the nod yeah and you you mentioned interior presence if you guys uh if you missed the game last night chloe Kitts did not travel to auburn she's sick or it's we were told at least so you get ashton Watkins making her first career start and immediately going for 14 and 15 with five blocks um, had a career night last night in her first start. She talked to us post-game in the tunnel. If you're subscribed, I got all those quotes on the forum too. Her and Malaysia Flo Wiley talked to us. Um, just saying that, like, she – I asked her, like, I'll give you a little sneak peek. I asked Watkins, you know, what's different this year than last year? You know, what's allowed you to basically become a starter? She's playing starter minutes now. She did start a game. She said confidence. She feels better about herself. She feels more comfortable. Um, she looked like someone who belongs in the starting lineup. And, you know, if you've – Let's say you don't have Cardoso next week for UConn. I think you found another post player who can start, even though it's maybe not one who's six seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of been the story. You're just so deep, um, yeah. and we've—that's one of the kind of uh, enduring stories from this year. Is some people that we saw as sort of role players mm-hmm. over the last couple of years have really stepped up to that 
um, starting role and, and made a big impact. And you have to think people like Watkins, people like Full Wiley, um, who are playing a little bit of a role right now, have that in them if, if they needed to. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Holmes, <laughs> Ole Miss Sunday. Um, obviously, I'll be have coverage of that. Sneaky tough Ole Miss team. They're second in the SEC right now, six and two in the league. And then home against Missouri on Thursday, and then obviously home against UConn next Sunday, which we'll have live coverage of. Um, if we want to talk uh, football just for a minute, uh, the special teams coordinator role uh, has was pretty quickly filled. Um, so uh, Joe DeCamillis' contract was finalized <laughs> earlier this week, Monday. I think it was Monday, Monday. yeah. Um, so a guy with a lot of NFL experience, a um, couple of Super Bowl rings, actually, one with Denver, one with uh, L.A. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll see how it works out from a recruiting standpoint, but you have to think that some recruits will be uh, pretty uh, impressed with you know his background and everything. Yeah. And I think from just a on-the-field coaching standpoint, you got one of the best replacements for Limbo that you probably could have. Yeah, I think that's kind of about where I put it. It was very weird. We we talked to Shane Beamer at halftime of the men's game Saturday, and that was after the news had broken, but before it had been finalized. So, like, Beamer kind of had to, like, I think it was once someone asked him about, like, if he wants NFL experience on staff, and he had to go, like, well, hypothetically, if I were to hire a longtime NFL coordinator on my staff, it was kind of a weird gray area for a press conference, but... <laughs> Going off Shane saying he knew it was going to be uh, D. Camillus. Yeah, um, I think having an NFL guy in that spot helps for sure. I think what a lot of people miss about special teams coordinating and um, understandably, especially with Lembo and kind of all the, the highlight stuff, you know, the trick plays, the, the great punts, all that stuff. A lot of it is roster management. A lot of it is fringe management. It's knowing this guy's got this trait that might be good on a hands team or a kick coverage or as a gunner or anything like that. I think you have a good understanding of like the fringes of a roster. And I think if you've been doing it your whole life in the NFL, you definitely do. Um, and I think that might be more important than ever in college football, just in the portal era when you're going to be losing 10, 20 guys every year, pretty much no matter what you do, that having a guy who understands fringes and how to like maybe manage those guys and pull skill sets out, I think is really important. I thought Lebo did a good job of that. And I have no reason to think Joe DiCamillis won't either. Yeah, I think also um, along those same lines, just the extensive experience that he's had. I know he got a uh, associate or assistant head coach uh, title. Um, you're just bringing in a veteran presence for a fairly young staff uh, across some other places on the board, including your head coach. Um, so it's just good to kind of have someone that's been around the game for that long, I think, as a stabilizing personality uh, in the coach's room. Um, other football updates from that little brief uh, scrum that you had with Beamer. Um, the newcomers of the uh, team, both freshmen and uh, transfers, were in, were introduced at the halftime of the Missouri game last week. And Rocket Sanders had a sling on his arm. Yep. Camp Pringle was on a scooter. It sounds like both those guys are expected back by late spring, early summer. Um, but obviously, you know, puts them a little bit behind the eight ball to not be able to go through spring ball, although Rocket Sanders has played I was going to say SEC football. Maybe hurts Pringle a little bit that's more. That's kind of what I was going to say, too, is like I would – obviously you don't want to push anybody, but 
I would really, really, really not push it with Rocket, the guy who's played in the SEC, who's dominated in the SEC, let's face it. Um, if Rocket Sanders misses spring ball, he misses spring ball, I kind of think. Um, the Pringle one's a little bit more concerning, I think, just because that's a – I don't know if he's going to start week one, but that's a guy you wanted in your in your offensive line too deep for sure right off the bat who has no college football experience. Um, and we don't know what the nature of the injury is exactly, but – it sounds like it is going to keep him out of spring ball at least to start. Um, I don't want to say that's concerning, but it definitely doesn't help. It doesn't help him either if he's going to fall behind, you know, Franks or Thompson in that packing order early. Yeah. For those of you that are trying to get familiar with all of the new names and faces and what the the depth chart, I guess, is going to look like uh, for the 2024 season, um, on GameCockScoop.com, Perry McCarty starting to break down each uh, position group. I believe this morning he started with quarterback. Um, so you can check that out as we head towards spring. Spring practice opens up on March 19th, yep. I believe. Um, and then the spring game mid-April. April 20th, yeah. April 20th. Ah, I'm sure. You know, cool. None of the college kids yeah. will enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's, that was the, the thought. So I guess, uh, four twenties on a Saturday this year. All right. They, uh, it's funny, actually. I know that's not why they did it, obviously, but Shane said they're starting spring ball a week later than last year. Cause they, uh, got back from spring. They had spring break academically last year and they got back from the kids got back from that. And they started spring ball that Tuesday. He just said he, he didn't like the energy the first week of spring ball. I don't know if everybody was still, you know, hung over from spring break or whatever, but he said, yeah. uh, they're going to put a buffer week in there this year. They're going to have spring break a week all, or a week for like weights and stuff. And then they're going to start spring ball that following week, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So that, that's good. Um, starting to look ahead at the the schedule a little bit. Obviously I'll do my way too early looks at them as we get closer to summer. Um, it's going to be tough. I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about football yet. Uh, we're right in the middle of two very exciting basketball seasons. Uh, baseball is right around the corner. Two Actually, weeks from the day, yep. off, uh, Yeah, in two weeks. So we'll have some preseason uh, looks at uh, changes on the baseball roster. Yep. Um, I know that you've been to some uh, practices and stuff that they, yeah. they've been doing lately. So it's kind of crazy that that's happening. But, yeah, this, this stretch coming up from yep. mid-February to mid-March is definitely the busiest time of the year. Um, Over the end of March, now that these teams are both playing so well, who's to say? That's true. Um, but uh, yeah, so plenty of great content on GameCockScoop.com. Uh, if you're not into other sports outside of football, it's probably time to uh, get into those sports because <laughs> the, the bat, like you said, the bat, basketball teams are both doing very well. Uh, baseball team is uh, ranked in the top 25 in most preseason polls, has a good chance of potentially uh, making it to Omaha. Obviously, they made it to a Super Regional last year and have a lot of those key pieces back. So really exciting time uh, to be a subscriber on GameCloudScoop.com. Uh, we will be back next week with the podcast to talk more about uh, basketball and everything that's gone on. And uh, yeah, until next time, we'll see you later.